1: It
0: does come out in one piece. It comes out in one piece. I would argue that we certainly
1: are not all created equal.
0: And now, here's Mark.
1: Climate change activists are right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Climate change activists are right. Now, you might think that I've lost my mind because the audience that tunes into the Mark Harrington show probably thinks most climate change activists are are nuts. But we do have something in common with climate change activists, and I want to talk about that today on The Mark Harrington Show, your radio activist. You can find out more about the program by going to markherrington.org. I'm also the president of Created Equal, the pro-life organization based here in Columbus, Ohio. So, Obviously, the statement climate change activists are right is a bit provocative. I'm trying to, you know, get people to think here. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because I just spent, uh, you know, about a month ago, I spent a week in London, England. And while they vacationing with my son, Dylan, we were regularly confronted with climate change activists. In the city of London... They've basically taken over. Uh, Trafalgar Square is is their place where they've set up a camp. Uh, when we got on and off the subway, the tube as they call it in London, uh, they were there, protesting all throughout the city of London. They were at Parliament during the Brexit uh, debates and so forth. And what I learned in London about the climate change activists is that they have made serious inroads. Into England and the UK, and for that matter, Europe. It's no longer a debate, really, uh, outside of the United States, apparently, that there is something called climate change. Now, we all understand, I don't want to get into debate over climate change per se. We all understand climate changes. What they're talking about is man made climate change, that what what mankind is doing is leading to the climate changing, and they believe that is an existential threat to humanity, and they have made their case in Europe, the U.K., and now we are beginning to see more and more of that in the United States here. And the reason I bring this up, because last uh, last Saturday, climate change activists disrupted disrupted the Harvard versus Yale football game, where they occupied the field during halftime, and delayed the second half, the kickoffs, the second half of the game, by about an hour. Uh, This was an act of civil disobedience. And uh, it's a lot different in the United States. I mean, the the, the debate over climate change is in the early stages here in the U.S., where in other parts of the world, in the Western world, it's pretty much a done deal. Climate change activists have won. Uh, and what i like to do today is I want to draw out things we can learn from climate change activists. I don't agree with them on everything. Uh, I like I said, I do not want to get into a, a tit for tat on the position of climate change. But I will say this. A couple of things that they've done and done very well is they have brought the urgency, whether true or not, not true the urgency of climate change to the forefront of uh, the political agenda. They have successfully made this an emergency. They call it climate injustice, climate catastrophe. And they have said within 12 years, or depending on who you talk to, that we are in imminent danger of losing the planet and humanity along with it. And they have made a case for that in Europe, the UK, and now they're starting to make it in the United States, that this is an imminent threat to humanity. So they've been successful in communicating the urgency of climate change. The other thing they've done is they have captured the youth. The next generation has bought in, whether for good reason or for ill, to the idea of climate change. Uh, They have successfully recruited and trained an entire generation that believes that climate change is an imminent threat to humanity. Uh, in Europe, for sure, UK, and now beginning in the United States, with the example of last Saturday at the Harvard-Yale football game, where hundreds of students occupied the field during halftime. And now we see this being elevated to the political debate for president, right? Presidential debates. Now, I believe there's some truth to climate change. I think that man-made, you know, fossil fuels, all that kind of thing probably has something to do with it. I just disagree with the solution. I don't believe big government uh, coming in and forcing people to do certain things, controlling individual freedom is the answer. So that's where I get off the bandwagon with climate change activists. But I, I think that they have a point. And. I'll just say this. As a Christian, I think it's wrong. I think it's uh, inappropriate or probably just not even smart to j- just discount this whole debate over pr- climate change as idiotic, stupid, uh, a waste of time. I think it's wrong for Christians to immediately just to what might be happening to our environment. Uh, first of all, it doesn't give us any credibility. We should be willing to debate this in the public square. Without just labeling them as idiotic and naive, which is what a lot of Christians do. The other thing is that we are called to be stewards of God's creation, the planet. We're supposed to take dominion over the earth. That means we ought to take care of it. We shouldn't just write it off and say, who cares about the planet? We're going to be raptured anyway. God's going to recreate the earth and the heavens uh, and, and just blow it off like it doesn't matter. It should matter to Christians. So, Anyway, I think we have some some um, some common interests with the climate change activists. Uh, And I don't think we should just be blowing them off. I think we can learn from them in that they have communicated urgency and they have reached the the next generation uh, of leaders and have captivated them and given them a reason to, to stand for something. Again, I think that's misguided in a lot of ways, but I can tell you this. They have won the debate with our youth. They certainly have, and they've motivated them to go out and do things like occupying the football, you know, the the, 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 the uh, uh, football field at a football game, and so forth and so on. So, I mean, we can learn a lot from them. And so, what I want to do is kind of move on to what Christians should be doing and have done in the past uh, that. Is, is kind of mimics, or they mimicked us actually, but uh, uh, some of the courageous things that Christians have done in the past and should be doing in the future, as it relates to what I think is a real existential threat to humanity, and that is the killing of our offspring, the unborn. Uh, it, it 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 really concerns me that you know we'll look at the climate change activists and make fun of them. And then we'll say, oh, well, we shouldn't be doing that uh, where we're failing, folks. I mean, we're failing to capture the youth on on the abortion issue where they're succeeding. Uh, I, I, you know, I I think there are indications that more uh, young people are pro-life than they used to be. But do they have the passion and the courage of climate change activists? I don't think so. I don't think so. So what I want to do is go down memory lane a little bit here. Uh, and and kind of refresh some of your memory over uh, a, a a movement called Operation Rescue, which was a civil disobedience movement in the 1980s and 90s, and uh, and 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 ask the question: Can we revive the spirit of Operation Rescue, the the courage and the passion and the vision of Operation Rescue? Because climate change activists have that. They've got vision, they have courage, and they have passion. We can say it's misguided, but they have it. And we have a lot to learn from them. And the truth is, there was a time many decades ago where we had the same vision, courage, and passion. And that was with Operation Rescue. Now, let me say this, most pro-lifers, or I would say millennials and others, young pro-life activists, don't even know who Operation Rescue is or was. I was recently speaking at a, a student order, in front of a student organization on a college campus, and I asked for people to raise their hands if they knew who Operation Rescue was or what they did. And only about 30% of them knew. And that broke my heart. You know why? because we have a lot to learn from Operation Rescue. They're the forefathers of the pro-life movement. Uh, we have a lot to learn from them uh, and from our own history. We want to look back at social reform. We want to look back at civil rights. We want to look back at uh, you know the women's woman's right to vote. We want to look back at uh, child labor and all these other movements. We want to look back at those and say, oh, we have lessons to learn from them. But we won't even look at our own movement and look at the things we could learn from our predecessors and one of those is operation rescue in the 1980s and 90s pro-life activists in mass under the auspices of operation rescue disobeyed civil authority and blocked doors of abortion centers all across america to save children and to draw attention to child killing and as a result thousands of christians were arrested and went to jail And at the heart of Operation Rescue, it was a repentance uh, uh, movement at its heart, at its core, at its foundation. It wasn't just a civil disobedience movement. It was a biblical obedience movement. Uh, And it called for repentance among Christians for the shedding of innocent blood. Uh, Repentance is defined as this, the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs. It involves a commitment to personal change and and a resolve to live more responsibly and more humanely. Uh, That's repentance and that's what Operation Rescue did. Now, here's the question. Why did Operation Rescue uh, fail in its goal, back in the late 80s and early 90s, in its goal to end child killing? And why is it that Christians today have lost that same willingness that we had back then to sacrifice for the weak and defend the truth? Now, what I'd like to do here, I'm going to play a clip. This is a clip with the founder of Operation Rescue, Randall Terry, back in uh, the mid-90s, after the civil disobedience movement had been stopped by the uh, Clinton administration and after Operation Rescue has basically had ground to a halt. He reflects, as he's in prison, this is a prison interview, Uh, Randall Terry spent over a year in prison because of his activities with Operation Rescue, and he shares as to why it is Operation Rescue failed to call the church to repent and to end child killing. Go ahead and play that clip.
0: Well, Operation Rescue, um, of course, exploded on the horizon in the media in 1988, And God gave us a lot of grace. Uh, Thousands and thousands of babies were saved. Tens of thousands of Christians who had heretofore been pew-sitters, became activists, Mm -hmm. Uh, hundreds of pastors got involved in activism. But our window for really turning the tide in child-killing via that tactic, the window has closed. Frankly, I believe that the window closed at the end of the summer of 1991 when we were in Wichita. I believe that was the church's last chance to really rise up in earnest and through peaceful rescuing and nonviolent civil disobedience to turn the tide.
1: There you go. Randall Terry, founder of Operation Rescue, still doing activism today. And Randall had a lot to do with calling me into the pro-life movement. In fact, uh, in 1996 is when I was introduced to Randall. And as they say, the rest is history. Uh, You know, he had much to do. And I believe that uh, had the mantle of God on him, a prophetic uh, message to America to repent for the shedding of innocent blood. And he talks about why it failed. And it's just that the church, in his view, didn't have the courage to stand up. And do the right thing. I mean, uh, Operation Rescue is categorized as a civil disobedience movement, and, and and it did break. You know, they did call for people to break the law, man-made law, in order to regard higher law, and uh, you know, follow God's law, God's commands. But more than anything else, it was a call to the church to repent over the shedding of innocent blood and to do something about it. And I don't think there's anything new in that. And, and, and the fact that we have now 46 years of unabated child killing in America is due to the lack of activity or repentance on behalf of the church itself. Uh, we have the commission to make disciples of the nations. And the church lacks the vision and the courage and the passion right now to end child killing. I mean, that I hate to break the news to you, but it's just the way it is. You can say we're winning and at some level, you know, closing abortion mills, the numbers are down a little bit and we are uh, changing public opinion marginally is all good news. But the fact is, we're far from ending the shedding of innocent blood and we're far from activating the church, I think, in a way that corresponds to the problem, which is murder. Uh, if, if we believe abortions murder, we ought to be acting a lot differently. Now, I'm not calling for people to go and start breaking the law again. I'm not calling for people to block the doors of abortion clinics. I'm not calling people to occupy football fields during halftime. I'm not saying that necessarily. But we ought to be willing to see how we can revive the spirit of Operation Rescue and our forefathers. And so what I'd like to do with the final few minutes is just give you a couple of things that you could do to help do this to, to revive the spirit the courage the passion and the vision of operation rescue the first is we need to have a vision to change uh change minds and 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 hearts on abortion we need a vision to end abortion first chronicles 12 32 says this that the men of Issachar quote who understood the times and knew what israel should do unquote in other words in the, in the nation of Israel, there were men of Issachar who understood the times. In other words, they understood their culture enough to be able to have the vision to call people to do something. And I think that's what we lack today in many ways. We need to understand the past. That means we need to know history. We need to understand or comprehend the present. Where What is it we're dealing with now? And be able to project in the future a vision, a strategy and tactics to end child killing a a clear trumpet blast if you will that's a distinct sound to christians across america to hear the call to come out and confront child killing and that's one thing we miss and that's one thing operation rescue is successful in doing seizing upon a vision of uh uh, biblical obedience to try to end child's child killing and we need that vision again number two we need biblical passion passion we've lost passion altogether we it seems like we don't care about anything anymore almost you know uh, the church is getting overrun and it seems like we're just kind of like uh oh, you know this is just the way it's gonna be uh you know things are only gonna get worse. Culture is going to continue to degrade. We can't do much about it. It's the devil's world. We're going to be raptured soon. Why bother rearranging the furniture on the Titanic? You know, it's like, it's going to happen anyway. Let's just get out of the way and let it go. And then eventually we're going to be raptured or something like this. I mean, obviously that's a bit of hyperbole, but I think Christians believe in general that we can't do anything about it. It's like inertia, gravity. It's heading in one direction. There's nothing to be done. We need to restore passion. That Each individual Christian needs to run the race to win. 1 Corinthians 9 says this. Do you not know that we all race as runners in the race, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may win. In other words, we need passion, like a runner in a race. They don't run to come in second, third, fourth, or just a place or get a medal. They run to win. They want to be number one. I think we need to reinvigorate the church to see that we can win. That not only have we read the end of the book and we win, which we do, but we've read the beginning and the middle of the book and we win then too. And we can win in culture because the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit of the first century Christians. That hasn't changed. And the gospel's the same. It's just a lack of willingness and passion of Christians to go into the public square and make our case. So number three, we need biblical courage. Courage. You know, courage isn't the absence of fear. A lot of people think, oh, you're just not fearful if you have courage. No, that's not true. But it's the willingness to do what's right in spite of your fears. That's courage. And I think we've got a generation, starting from the top, And not again, I'm not broad brushing, but many pastors and leaders who lack the courage to take a hit for the gospel, take a hit for Jesus and the babies. In Job 13, it says, though he may slay me, I will trust in him. Job confronted the fact that God may take him down and take him out, but he's going to trust in him. And Jesus said that there's no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for a friend for his friends and he wasn't just exaggerating it wasn't just this wasn't hyperbole he was talking about physically being willing to lay down your life for your friends to take a bullet if necessary for Jesus Christ now we live in a culture where that's not likely going to happen but we got to at least be willing to lay down our reputations for the lord right this isn't just rhetorical He wasn't just using it as some kind of device to persuade people. My good friend, uh, Flip Benham of Operation Save America has said that it's fun to find out. It's fun to follow Jesus until you find out where he's going. And he's going to the cross. And he stands on the other side of that grave and he bids us to follow him. See, we make it all about having fun. It's not fun to follow Jesus until when you find out where he's going and you want to follow him, he's going to the cross, he's going to the grave. He says, follow me. And he stands on the side of the grave and says, follow me. It's going to take uh, sacrifice and courage, biblical passion and vision to end child killing. Now, here's what you can do to bring this all to a head. We look at climate change activists and we say we just blow them off as misguided, ignorant, stupid, evil, whatever. And I think we do that to our own demise. There's something happening there where they have captured the attention and passion of the next generation. And we're failing at it, folks. We're not giving young people something they can do, something they can do that's bigger than themselves, that they can change the world. And we need to do that. At Created Equal, we have several uh, things that that we can do to help you get involved, get in the game. The first is invite me to speak at your church. Invite me or one of our other speakers. We have several different types of uh, talks that we can give or sermons. One of them I give is the one about who's your neighbor, talking about the Good Samaritan parable. And I could come into the pulpit in your church and speak to your congregation and activate them in the battle to defend pre-born babies and to spread the gospel, to reinvigorate the church in the spirit of Operation Rescue, of biblical courage, vision, and passion. Number two, there's other things we can do. We can activate you locally. If you live in Columbus or anywhere in the United States, there's two very simple things you can do, and we'll help you do it. One is... Operation Overpass. Operation Overpass. You can come out with us. We go out during rush hour in the mornings, often to walk bridges in the Columbus, Ohio area, or you could do it anywhere in any major city across America. And we hold or we hang uh, big banners calling for people to understand that abortion is murder. uh, And we show abortion victim photography to commuters in major cities. And thousands of people see these each day. We count about 20,000 folks every morning that we go out and do Operation Overpass. And finally, you can go to where the killing takes place, clinic outreach. Every major city in America, for the most part, has an abortion center. You can go there. You can pray. You can hold a sign. You can counsel. You can call people to repent. These are things we can be doing. And I'm not saying we got to go rescue in the old sense of blocking doors, but we certainly need to do more than what we're doing. Uh, This is ridiculous. The fact that climate change activists are willing to sacrifice and go to jail for something that they don't really understand and it's very hard to make a difference in. And we're unwilling to even go to an abortion clinic or hold a sign uh, on a public street or on an overpass. If you want to get involved, give us a call at Created Equal or go to CreatedEqual.org and let us know you want to get involved in uh, in rescuing preborn babies and calling the church to repent for the shedding of innocent blood. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God.
0: You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil Evil. plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808, 614-269-7808, or go online to createdequal.net, createdequal.net. Be sure to
1: tune to The Mark Arrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.